Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash get certified. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. Uh, I went from my, I quit school, so I got drafted into the army. And I went for my physical, right? The first thing you do is you piss into a cup. The second thing you do is you go for a hearing test. So I was going to see a shrink at the time who wrote letters for me and I had other letters written. So I was pretty sure the army didn't want me. So when they did the hearing test, I thought, okay, I'm, you know, going to try to do it correctly. So they put the headphones on and the doctor says, when you hear a sound, put your hand up. When it stops, take your hand down. When you hear a sound in this ear, put your hand up. When it stops, right? No problem. So I close my eyes and, and here comes a sound and then it stops and another one comes here then another one, and then before this one's finished, another one comes, and then, then like, they started coming so fast, and I'm thinking, how do you do this, you know, how does this work, go on, and I open my eyes, and the doctor's looking at me like this, (laughs) he actually had not started the test yet. So he looks through my file, he sees the psychiatrist note, boom, you're out of here. <laughs> See, Joe, you try your best. So I'm asking this question for my friend Petra, which couldn't come this evening, and we met at Dharamsala, you remember? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Petra wanted to know who was your guru after Maharishi, did Maharaji, he, sorry. Did, did he go somewhere? <laughs> I don't see that he left me, so what do you need another guru for? <laughs> okay, I will tell her. A guru is not a body. A real guru is not a body. Guru is guru, God, self one thing when you meet a being who is your guru it's not the physical body that's the guru 
That's just the same pile of shit that you have. What's different is what's in that body, the being that's inhabiting that body. And if it's a real guru, that never dies. But because we're attached to our bodies and we identify with our physical bodies, we think when that goes away, we lost something. And I did feel that way for a long time. I felt that he had died and uh, I would never be happy. Because being with him was the only thing that made me happy in, a, in that way. It was the only place I found unconditional love, complete love, total love. So I went through many years of uh, really bad, feeling really bad, doing very bad things to myself and just not wanting to be alive. So. And then, uh, then I was, uh, well, I had a couple of experiences in India that uh, showed me that he was still with me. And that saved me from who knows what. But still I wasn't doing very well. And then, um, I was standing in my room in New York uh, in 1994 and uh, I was very depressed, very unhappy. And then I was struck like a lightning bolt, you know. And I knew that if I did not sing, chant with people, that I would never be able to clean out the dark shadows in my own heart. And I saw that it was just this, these dark shadows that were causing me suffering, nothing else. And I, like I said, if I saw that if I didn't sing with people, I would never be free of that. So I was screwed. Screwed. I had to do it. If I didn't do it, it was always going to be very bad. It took me a while to get to it, but uh, here we are. That's why I chant, you know. That's what it's about. Every time I sit down, this is my practice. This is my practice. This is my spiritual practice. This is what I do more than anything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I have my days. Some days I don't feel like singing. You know, but I gotta. Because you're here. <laughs> so, but the moment I sit down, life becomes very simple. Very simple. I got no problems. I just have to sing. And when I notice that I'm not paying attention, I'm spacing out, I come back. Just the same every time. Just like that. 
that's it. That's all I do. And the more you come back, the more you start to feel at home in your own life, in your own heart, in your own being. You know, we've been kicked out of our own homes by our own stuff. And we have to find a way back. And for me, chanting is the major part of my practice. Because it's so simple. Either you're singing and you're paying attention, or you're spacing out. There's, no, there's nothing else going on. So you always recognize, you finally recognize that whatever you're experiencing, you can let go. Whatever thoughts you have that might be causing you pain, you can let go. You can always let go. And when you let go, you fall into yourself. Because that's where it is. That's where your heart is. That's where your being is. In, your, in you somewhere. Not in somebody else. Not somewhere else, right here. You can always let go, no matter what it is. But it takes, that's why they call it practice. You got to do it. You don't do it, nothing happens. So. And my guru, his last instructions to me. You know, I had been walking around India barefoot in a red dress for two and a half years. And all of a sudden he says to me, what are you doing here? Go back to America. You have attachment there. America? I couldn't even speak English without, oh, yes, I'm just coming. Very good, thank you. Okay, very nice. I completely was Indianized, you know, because when I left the States for India, I, I, I never was going to come back. That was my plan. There was no doubt in my mind that I was never coming back from India. Shows you how much I know. So after two and a half years, he says, ciao, go. You know? So there I was. Uh, my last, the last time I ever saw him in the body, so far. I'm sitting with him and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do in America? I, I better ask him. And then the other Krishna and I said, shut up. What's wrong with you? You should have faith. Be quiet. Just go back. What's going on? No, you don't understand. What am I going to do there? Shut up, I said. Back up with it. So finally I said, Maharaji, how can I serve you in America? He looked like he bit a pickle, you know. He went, ah. If you ask about service, it's not service. Just do what you want. Do what I want? 
Well, first of all, I had been celibate for three years. Hello? You know what I wanted to do? I knew what I wanted to do. And he knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> and he was saying, yeah, knock yourself out. Do what you want. So, my life has been to find out what I really want to do. I came back, I made a huge mess. Oh, terrible. And it took me many years to find what I wanted to do, it's just to chant. Now I'm, it's disgusting. I'm doing what I want. And I like it. It never occurred to me, ever, in my wildest dreams, that a person like me could do what they wanted to do. Certainly my mother never told me that. But that was his instructions. Because if he had told me to chant, go forth and spread the message. <laughs> There's no way I could have done it. And if I had done it, it wouldn't be like this. I'd be doing it because I was instructed to. And that's a big difference. Now I do it. I, I, you got to understand, when I'm chanting, every time I sit down, to save my miserable ass. No other reason. This is what saves my life every day. There's nothing else that does it for me like this. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm sorry you have to be here too. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. <laughs> It's perfect, right? Yeah. Hi. Hi. When you first met Maharaji, were you afraid of him? <laughs> no. First of all, I met him the first time I met Ramdas, actually. That's what I felt. I like later realized that that's what I felt when I walked into the room with Ramdas. was his presence. And... When you fall in love, when you, in that first like 30 seconds, or maybe if you're lucky, like a couple of days, when you fall in love, is there any fear in that moment? There's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's maybe anticipation. There might be, you know, in, but there's not. All you want to do is give yourself to that person 100%, right? And that's what it's like. Sometimes when you, when you like, feel that energy, it can be... It, it can be a little frightening. Because you think it's coming from another human being. Or it's between you and another human being. A guru is not a human being. That's the difference. Because guru doesn't want anything. A human being that you might be attracted to wants something from you too. And that's where you feel the fear. Can I give that? Am I okay? Is it there? What, what, what if they don't want it, you know? But when you meet love, real love, it's not, there's no business involved, you know? It's not a relationship with a guru. 
Because a guru is not something else, someone else. A guru is you. The guru is your own true being, manifested in a body at that moment, if the guru is in a body. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. So it's not, it's not two things. It's one, it's that love that you are, and you recognize that. And there's no fear because it can't be taken away from you. You know, in relationships, we're always worried that the person's going to withdraw their love and affection. So we're constantly involved in giving them what they want so they won't do that. And they're doing the same thing with us. So it's work. But love is not work. Love is who you are. And when you meet love and enter into the room where love lives, it's very different. You recognize yourself. You can completely relax because you recognize yourself as being loved too. It's not about anybody else. And everybody's included in that also. So it's, it's just a different level of stuff. So how did it come that you felt depressed when Maharaji went? Because good question. this is a little Yeah, yeah, good question, yeah. I'm a schmuck. There's no doubt about it. I got attached to his body. Right? But how comes you met him before without seeing his body? Exactly. I wonder. That's how big a schmuck I am. Really, I felt him before I even met him. And when I met him, I recognized that. But the more time I spend with him, the more... The more attached I got to his body and watching him move and, you know, you know when you're madly in love with somebody, everything they do is like, oh, wow, you know? So it was like that all the time. And then the body went away and I really flipped out. I, I just did. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't say I didn't. <laughs> I wish I could say. I know there were other devotees who said, oh, when I, I once, when I got I called one guy I knew who was living in the mountains in Vermont alone with he and his wife living in isolation after coming back from India. And I said, you know, Maharaji left the body. And he said, oh, I thought he left the body a long time ago. <laughs> There were people like that. I wanted to kill them. Not me. I was too emotional, right? So all those emotions got... All the, you know, I was 23. It was between 23 to 26 I spent in India with him. And all the failed relationships I had had before that, the, the really unhappy, neurotic attempts at relationships, was, all that stuff was in me. And here was the perfect lover, right? The one who's loved, who's just complete love. I mean, even when he yelled at you, he yelled at you with love, you know? And you felt it. It was like, he never could get angry, even when he looked like he was angry. It was funny. So, you were involved in this leela, in this beautiful dance, this, this ongoing, every day, what will he do today? You know, how many bananas will he hit me with today, you know? It was like every day was crazy like that, you know. And like a couple of days would go by and he wouldn't give you a piece of fruit, you know. 
He would throw fruit in all directions, right? People would bring big mounds of fruit. And he would just go like this, you know, throw them at people. And you'd be sitting right in front of them. And nothing would come to you. Everybody around you had like 10 bananas and you had nothing. And then two days would go and be by. And you had nothing. Three days. You're ready to kill yourself. No bananas for three days. You're ready to die right there. And you're going like this, you know. And then you turn your head to see something. And then the minute you turn your head, boom, you get hit with a banana right in the heart. And you look at him and he goes, he knew. He knew everything and he played with you that way. You could kill him if you didn't love him so much. And he did it on purpose. He knew what he was doing. It was a, you know, you've got to realize he knew everything. Okay? I just said that. Let's repeat that. He knew everything. He knew everything. Everything I ever did. Everything I ever thought. He knew what I was going to do. What I wasn't going to do. He knew everything. Not just about me. About everybody. And he showed you that all the time. It was no game. This is not imagination, okay? I know it seems like it's not what you read about in the papers. But this is the reality of a real being, a real saint. They know past, present, and future. And what was worse, they love you anyway. Which is unbelievable. Because you know what you did. You know who you are. You know all the shit you've done. But they love you and they know that too. And it's un- you can't accept that. It's impossible. Almost. It takes a lot of, of opening to accept that kind of love. Because we judge ourselves so harshly. But these beings do not judge us. They do not judge us. We've been talking about the importance of daily practice, and I was just wondering, have you noticed any sort of subtle changes within your practice from when you started and then 20-plus years later? 20? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, uh, absolutely. I am a depressed person. I spend my life moping around. You know what moping around is? Okay. I actually mope around less than I used to. Big thing. Sometimes, the truth is, I miss it. Sometimes I'll mope around just for fun. Like I'll walk around my house and go, oh, I feel so miserable today. Wow, this is great, you know? Oh, what should I do? I don't want to do anything today. Wow, this is fun. I really miss being so unhappy. So, that's the difference. And the other thing is that Somehow, somehow it's become apparent that my life isn't about me. It's not so important how I feel. It's not so important what I do. It's not so important what people think of me, or even what I think of myself. It's It's just not such a big deal, you know? It's like the planet of me has lost half of its gravity, you know? So all the shit that revolved around it, about half of that shit just floated off to space because there wasn't enough gravity to hold it, you know? 
And that feels pretty good when I think about it, which is not often. Because I don't think about it. We spend our whole time thinking about ourselves. How are we doing now? How are we doing now? And what about now? How are we doing now? And whoa, what about now? You know, This is what we do all day. And I just noticed that those thoughts don't arise. See, because it's not like you're thinking that. that. You didn't make a choice to think, now let me think about myself. How am I doing now? No, that thought arose and you went for it. So if the thoughts don't arise, they just don't arise. So over time, I notice, and you will notice, everybody would notice, that you spend less and less time in heavier negative states of mind thinking about yourself all the time. It just happens that way. You just spend less time thinking about yourself and more time full of something else. Being, presence, Ram Ram. So, eventually when you, eventually those thoughts of me just don't arise anymore and then something else, you know, then you become You've recognized, not become, you've recognized your true nature because those thoughts cover it, are clouds covering the sun. And when they don't arise, the sun shines. It's not like the sun isn't shining all the time, especially here. It's just fucking cloudy around here. But over, by practice, those clouds dissipate. And you recognize this, you recognize, you see the sun again and again more often. You don't notice it because when you're sunbathing, there's nobody there to notice. You're just enjoying in a very deep way. And, and, and thoughts about it are not arising. So thoughts about it are not rising. You're not aware of the passage of time either. So there's nobody there to say, well, I've just spent 29 minutes not thinking about myself. No, that would be another thought, right? So over time and practice, all this negativity doesn't arise the same way. And when it does arise, we have this thing going on, which is letting go, letting go and remembering, remembering, remembering. And that allows the thoughts to go. Or so they say. I'm from Long Island too. Hey, where? <laughs> Garden City. Garden City? Yeah. I went to I went to Herrick's in New oh, Hyde Park. Kidding. I wouldn't kid you. <laughs> I think we're the only ones. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so this is my first time doing anything like this. And you came I'm, all the way from Long Island. Yeah, just for you. Just for me. <laughs> There's not that many of us here. No. Um, no, I've been in London about three years actually this weekend. Uh-huh. So I never done anything like this. I kind of fell into all of this because I started doing yoga. I feel for you. I really yeah, do. I know. <laughs> and I really started doing yoga for aesthetic reasons. And then all of a sudden yeah. I started crying. <laughs> like, what is right. this all about? <laughs> right. And I realized that there was probably a lot more going on than I had thought originally. Mm-hmm. And then I found you in a very bizarre, it's a funny story, um, way. And I started listening to you. I found you on YouTube through this random story and I don't know a lot of what's going on and a lot of what people have talked about, but you resonated with me and I started writing down notes. Cool. (laughs) And I guess my question is twofold. One, I'm trying to make all of this habits, habitual, you know, turning off the brain and meditating. Mm -hmm. I haven't started chanting. So 
you know, how do you, is, is that almost the same thing? And do you combine it? And, and secondly, you know, what do you say, say to someone like me who's starting out on this journey? Um, <laughs> this is probably the most nervous I've ever been and I talk all the time <laughs> in sales. Um, and so uh, anyway, that's it. <laughs> Look, chanting is meditation. Anytime you, any practice you do that helps you, that turns, that allows you to release your thoughts is, is a meditative practice. Chanting also adds the repetition of the name, which has its own magnetism, you could say, which, the, which kind of uh, attracts the mind, attracts the attention as well, so it helps even more. You can watch your breath and, you know, stuff like that. Those are all meditative concentration practices. Meditation is a big subject. It's not, it's a very subtle, deep subject. But you start certainly from wherever you are and you start by trying to quiet the mind, which that doesn't mean holding it down. It means begin to remember to pay attention. You start some practice going, whether it's the name or counting or watching the breath, and then you realize that you've been sitting there for half an hour and you haven't watched one breath. So you come back, that's all. And then the next, the next week it might be 29 minutes and you come back. Two years from now it might be 15 minutes and you come back. You never know. But the idea is every time you come back, this is a miracle. If there's anything that you could call a miracle, it's coming back from dreamland. Because we spend our whole lives dreaming away. I call it temperature checking, what you said before. How do I feel now? I'm constantly taking my temperature. Uh -huh. right? How do I feel now? How do I feel now? Right, yeah. Temperature checking. Yep. And mm -hmm. it's, <laughs> I thought... I you really, should have been a nurse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to trust me with <laughs> any vital organs. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> You're from Long Island, maybe I trust some, you. Some, maybe some, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, NHS here. Mm, but <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's a, this has been really great. So. Yeah, but asana practice is great because it involves the body and paying attention. If you don't pay attention, you fall over. So you have to pay attention. So that helps you train yourself to pay attention. But, you know, there's no hurry, okay? Right. There's no hurry. You're not going anywhere. You're trying to get here. So there's no reason to run around hurrying to get here when you're already here. You just have to recognize it. So you just start doing something. Just you're doing fine, you know. Anybody from Long Island is already blessed. Yeah, exactly. So, Long Island, you know, yeah. Expressway. You know, oh, we've got all exit 37, there right? Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah. I used to get yeah. off at 34. 34. Yeah, I know. I was just there the other day. You know, I went. I was on my way out to. Long, the end of Long Island, the, the, out to uh, Amagansett, East Hampton. And uh, so I drove by my mother's house where I grew up, and it wasn't there. They had, the people who bought the house knocked it down and built a completely different house. That room up there where I tortured myself all those teenage years, it was gone. It was the weirdest feeling. That was those that little house that had all that stuff. It would be my parents and me yelling at each other, fighting. 
my sister, all this craziness, it was gone. It just didn't exist anymore. It was the weirdest feeling, I tell you. So, impermanence, everything's always changing. So, you know, enjoy. Take it easy. Be happy. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm.